Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor Larry took us through parenting stuff. How many of you have raised a teenager, are raising a teenager right now, or will know you're raising a teenager come the future? Pretty much all of us. Pretty much all of us. I know some of you are not quite certain yet. I've prepared a short video to lighten the moment, if you will. Gentlemen, if we could show that. Come to mama, baby. Come on. Fuck you for that. That's not fair. I may have been bad. I may have kept the chain to that road. But it was for your good. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 uh. Don't you remember what I used to sing to you? When you were little, my <laughs> rockabye baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will bow. When the bar breaks, the cradle will fall. Break! Fall! I, I, I only grabbed you once. Uh, or maybe twice. Her mother worry. You know, man, you never know what we're gonna find out here. Okay, okay. let's oh. get down there. Oh, look at this. Look how deep it is down there. Oh, oh. Look at that. come on, Jake, you first. I ain't gonna go first, man. What are you kidding me? Go! Can't argue with that, man. All right. Come on, pepperoni. Why pepperoni? Huh? Come on, come on, let's kill each other. Put that gun away. I said, put that gun away now. Always take your side, man, right? You always like them better. That's right. Oh, yeah, we have parenting stuff. Truth of the matter be told, I was hoping we could actually even superimpose our middle son Daryl's photo for one of the boys and Jason, or, uh, Travis's photo on the other with Jackie's head on it saying, that's right when she slaps Travis. Because that's kind of become our motto, and depending on which one of the boys you ask, they will all say, oh, you love the other one better. But uh, I did that to really, to kind of lighten the spirit, but we certainly have a story, um, if you will. And I know I'm going to reference it just a little bit, so let me maybe set this out of the way. If you missed it, and I know a lot of you wasn't here, Travis and I, Travis looked it up this morning for me. It's almost been a year since he preached really his life testimony, if you will, of the journey that God took him on and, and how he's at at the place today serving in, as our teen ministry leader. But um, we have a story. And ours begins, if you will, bear with me. I'm going to go as fast as I can. promise not to keep you too long. Begins with a three-year-old with a very bad head and chest cold. He reali uh, Jackie realizes about 11 o'clock that night he's struggling to breathe. And so up upon arriving at the ER where she happened to be working as an ERRN, 
And so that afforded her being escorted immediately in. But literally upon laying Jason on the gurney, he stopped breathing. I mean, his airway was totally occluded. They rushed him up to the ER, and literally by the time the surgeon could be there, uh, he had an emergency uh, tracheotomy. All told, all that only took about 20 minutes. Fast forward at about three years, and Jason falls, breaks his arm. The break is a displaced fracture uh, at the elbow, which requires the arm to be put in traction. After five days of no movement, and that arm and head, or hand rather, is very ashen and cold to the touch, we seek to get an outside second opinion. The traction was good. Everything was in place. It was proper. So it should have been obvious that something was entrapped within that fracture. We literally had to fight the hospital who would not override the attending doctor to sign him out, AMA. For those that may not know, that's against medical advice. Surgery was performed to set the bone where it was discovered that both the nerve and the artery have been trapped. Ultimately, ultimately it would require a vein graft from his leg into his arm to recover the proper blood flow. Uh, The nerve does recover uh, fine with time. During that hospital time, Jason had totally shut down emotionally. There was nothing. He wouldn't talk to us. He barely ate at all. He, uh, as we assumed at the time, it was from the pain and the trauma he'd gone through, but probably not. 25 years later, thereabouts, we find out that the story he had told of tripping over the garden hose that I left out, so I had carried that blame, was totally a lie. Go figure. He had fallen off walking around the top rail of the pickup truck, which I had told both the two older boys a hundred times, do not do that. There was no ladder rack on the truck, nothing to hold on to, but we find out he had fallen off. So the six-year-old managed to convince his five-year-old never to tell. (laughs) I said, we have a story. Middle school years arrives, counseling arrives to try and help Jason with his anger and emotional issues. As you can tell, I've written, and I need to read this, because if I don't, my head and heart is full of so many things that I had in. I've, I've literally rewritten this about four times, trying to get it uh, whittled down to where maybe there's some key pieces we can take. So we're, Jason's in this counseling to, to deal with this anger and all this emotion. At the age of 14, he pretty much refuses to go to school or even stay on the school grounds. Jackie's mom, being a lifelong uh, school teacher, said, let me have him. I'll take control of it. We took him up over the weekend. Got, she got him registered in school. He goes out to the school bus, bus stop the next day where he had to walk down a little ways. And uh, come the, that afternoon, when the school calls and, fi- and says, well, Jason never reported. Grandma finds out he never went to school that day. Guess what? She called, come get him. I'm done with him. Thank you, Grandma. We were all too happy to try to have someone to help out. So, ultimately, he runs away. He's stealing uh, my company pickup truck. After 10 to 20 minutes of trying to decide what to do, I remembered that the truck has a mobile phone installed. Gives you an idea of the day and time. He answers after several attempts, and he is stranded in mid-state Pennsylvania with no money for gas. How is he in Pennsylvania, you might ask? He had a note laying in the truck. He had written directions from a uh, a United States map I had in the office at the house of the interstate routes, and he's on his way to go see Uncle Mike 
Well, Uncle Mike is Jackie's uncle. Jason's only been with Uncle Mike one time when he was approximately three years old, two years old. Uncle Mike didn't even know he was coming. <laughs> he had no money for gas because my wallet with the cash and the credit cards had been sitting in the floorboard, but he had managed to kick that out at a rest stop. So Jackie and I, telling him to stay right there at the diner where he would, uh, had pulled in and was stopped, we go and retrieve him in the truck. By the way, the wallet had uh, gotten turned into the state police, and a few days later, it was returned to me with everything intact. Um, lost my place here. Just a few months later, still age 14, maybe 15, but I don't think that's the case. Still without taking driver's ed, though, he runs away again. He makes it all the way to northern Georgia this time, where my family is from, and he actually did get to visit his cousins, if you will, and my aunts and uncles, and they're, they're wondering what's going on. It's, it's definitely in the middle of the school year. But he, this time he took our family minivan. This time, after being berated by the counselor for not having him arrested the first time, we do call the police, which ultimately had, leads to his arrest. And uh, I will say this about that. It mu he must have been lonely the first time. Because this time, a 14-year-old girl from his group counseling center ran away with him. Literally, to bring the minivan home, her parents gave my dad and I a ride down to Georgia. You talk about an awkward ride, that was one. Fast forwarded, he's now 17. Teen pregnancy, teen marriage, teen separation, ultimately leads to divorce. What happens, though, that leads him down to a fully, da uh, fully blown downward spiral. You say, I didn't think it could get any worse. I didn't either. Two separate breaking and entering incidents, grand larceny, convictions, hard time. All the midst of why that's going on, by now the second son, our middle son, is beginning to have many of the same issues with discipline and et cetera. He's sneaking out in the middle of the night. He's riding his bicycle to his girlfriend's house. The fun part was we liked that girl at that time. We loved that girl at the time. She was a sweet young girl. What does he do? Actually, when they break up, he breaks up at our house and says, here, you need to take her home. Thank you, son. He's struggling in school, but at least he's in school. After graduating from high school, he enters the management training program for Domino's, where he had worked since the time he was 15. And after closing the store one night right up here in Warrington, he runs a red light. Ultimately, he had six major traffic and jug violet charges from that one night. While waiting for his court date, Daryl, realizing truly the disparity of his situation, he cries out for help to the teen leaders here. Many of you don't know them. You've heard of them. Gordon and Denise served alongside with them for many years, but Karen Fox leads Daryl to the Lord. Miraculously, and God answers prayers, he only has fines, suspended license, and suspended jail time. For all of those six charges. By the way, he definitely was an adult with those charges. With, in just a couple of months, he surrenders to full-time ministry. That fall, he enters Atlantic Baptist Bible College, knowing that God's called him to be a missionary. Travis has already shared, as I mentioned, his story, and so I, I don't want to bring that up for the sake of time this morning, 
But he struggled with the drugs. He struggled with watching his older brother, who he idolized and was the closest to, go down that path. He fought depression, where we had him in counseling also. He fought anger. You know, initially, at, uh, the use, drug use was marijuana. But as Travis testified, there became much harder drugs later. All told, the boys served probably 14 to 15 years collectively in prison time. I'd even told Joe Chambers at the time when it was just Jason going through it, but the others were were there. Jason was in prison that, Joe, I'll never survive if another child's in jail. There's no way I can do it. But that day occurred, and, and literally when that day occurred, by that time God had kind of really steeled me, hardened me, if you will, not hardened of a heart, but just prepared me for that. So we did survive. Obviously, I'm here today. Several things I wanted to say right now at this point. We've just gone through what seemed like a pretty inexhaustive list of the trials and tribulations of, of Larry and Jackie and raising our three sons. But to be honest, that was just really the highlights, if you will, of the worst 10 to 12 years of our life. There were at least twice as many juvenile misdemeanors plus church discipline. Had the son put out of church. Corporate bankruptcy, car repossession due to all the mounting cost of counseling and lawyers. Quite literally, it was the prodigal son times three. But my purpose to tell you all of that, please understand, was not, I'm not in no way seeking your sympathy, your pity, your empathy, really any other acknowledgement. As many of you have already said in recent years, but look at how well things have turned out. And to that I say, praise God. It was Carrie Beavers who one day I remember saying, when I said, I just, I cannot believe how you guys, working with the teens at that time, had already welcomed Travis back into helping with the teens. And she said, Larry, it's not about who he was, but it's about who he is now. Travis is here today as our teen and youth ministry leader with his fairy tale princess wife, by the way, serving along beside him. There's a whole backstory to that we won't get into. You know, but all the while, serving with the teens in, uh, in the very unthankful position of referee commissioner, which, which really yesterday touched the limits to that to the nth degree, he's also enrolled in Piedmont International University working on his associate's degree in Bible. Daryl and family went to Taiwan as missionaries in 2010, where they still serve to this day. Pause for a second. Pastor, I saw you pick it up twice. Did you ever get there? All right. (laughs) I I caught him out of the corner. I said, I don't think he took a drink, but I'm not sure. I would have drunk it anyway, even if you said yes. Jason, our oldest. The one who most of uh, the, the story with you, Will, that I've shared this morning is, is a certified and licensed arborist now. He, who in finding his love of tree work has stability in his life and, in, and really it's the stability that I was convinced in, that I would never see. You know, while he's not in the ministry, we do have the comfort of knowing that he trusted Christ in this uh, as his Savior. And really, it was in the midst, it was a bit between two of his imprisonments that he went to Jackie one night and ask his mom to just sit down and go through the plan of salvation where he accepted Christ as his Savior. Plus, his family has our two youngest granddaughters, age five and, and one now. So my purpose today, or, for, or so far, was to lay out 
if you will, my qualifications to you this morning, why I'm standing up here this day as we address this beast that we call parenting, and more specifically, how to survive this beast. Much like the current quote from Farmer's Insurance, we know a few things because we have seen a few things. It's not unlike the Apostle Paul's list of qualifications as to suffering that we find in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-one through 30. We won't read them. Instead, I'm going to try to respect time. But here he's recounting, if you can remember that, if you will, he's recounting the number of imprisonments, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks. You know, it even said he was in the deep for a day and a night. And the deeper understanding is that that whether it was due to a stoning or one of those beatings, that Paul had literally died and was brought back to life. And he says quite literally that he was in peril at almost every turn in his life. And so how do we survive those turbulent years? Or how can you survive it if you're in a similar situation now or maybe in the future? And let me say, you know, we, parents, we say some stupid things at times. And we tell our kids, boy, I hope you have someone just like you when you grow up. The reality is when we, when we finally get there and we realize, oh, my Lord, please don't let him have a child like him. I do not want a grandchild like that. I've done it once. I can't do it again. And the reality is, you wouldn't even wish it on your worst enemy. And that's why we're here right now. Number one, if you will, never blame God. Blaming God's not the same as questioning it. Why God is allowing this trial. I believe we can ask why. That may not, we may not get that answer. It may not be revealed. Remember the words, if you will, and here's your scriptures. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. That phrase, to them who are called, literally means those that have accepted Jesus Christ as a result of the convicting call of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, if you didn't catch it just now, the first step is you need to be saved. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Just a little further down in the chapter in James 1, verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. You know, God has not promised us that Christians won't suffer in this life. I wish it was the other way around. But what God has promised us guaranteed is that he will never put more on us that we're able to stand. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I begin reading in the middle of the verse, but it says, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you, you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God's testing of man many times through the word of God has evolved his righteous judgment against the children of some of the best-known figures in Scripture. Most of, the, most of us are familiar with the story of Jacob or Israel, as he later was known as after God changed his name. And just kind of bullet points, if you will, in that story, you know, Jacob had a favorite son, much like the little movie clip, or much like the boys say, well, you loved this one better. Joseph had made it abundantly clear he had a favorite, and that was Joseph. Joseph, much to really to... Uh, 
his discredit, if you will, he'd become prideful in that knowledge. Now, God gave him dreams, but certainly, I, I, when I read Scripture, I'm just being honest, I think he could have delivered the message maybe a little in kinder words than he did. But that's, that's a whole other side story. But the reality is his ten older brothers takes him and he sells him into slavery where he ends up in Egypt. Adding to Jacob's grief, his father was that the boys, the brothers told him that Joseph must have been killed as he showed his bloody coat of many colors, which they had bloodied with the blood of a lamb. And so through it all, or I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob's grief was so strong that the Word of God tells us, it's Genesis 37, 35, it tells us that literally he was unable to be comforted. His love for Joseph was that strong. He lived in that sorrow 22 to 23 years before learning the truth that Joseph indeed was alive in Egypt. And through it all, there's not one time where we're told that he blamed God. There's Aaron's loss of two sons. There's deaths of Eli's two sons. David's loss of his infant son born to Bathsheba. Job's loss of ten children. And the point is that none of them ever blamed God. And there's more to where the blame lies in just a moment, so stay tuned. Why is it that in the midst of suffering do we tend to abandon the worship of God? No one enjoys suffering. Anyone enjoy suffering? Thank you. Proves my point. But it is a necessary, normal part of the Christian life. Scripture says we can expect hardships. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. The obvious answer at times is that we are simply too embarrassed many times. Everyone knows what our son and daughter has done. And I can't bear to face anyone. So we, we hide away. You know, in our time of going through that, Warrington and Fauquier County was much smaller than they are today. But to have every one of those felony arrests and the charges and the convictions staring you in the print of the local newspaper indeed is a very humbling experience. We've been there. We know that embarrassment. But just as Jesus asked the disciples in John chapter 6, verse 67, when he says, will you go away also? Or will you, will you also go away? The answer must still be the same today. And it's Peter who spoke in verse 68. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Don't, don't, don't ever stop coming to church. Don't ever stop worshiping. You know, where else can we go? Let me say this and insert this real briefly if I can. Because it really began um, with my parents, if you will. You know, it was in 1946 that a gentleman by the name of Dr. Benjamin Spock came out with a book, Common Sense of Baby and Child Care. For all intents and purposes, that book threw away the Word of God. It had nothing to do with the biblical admonitions and how to raise our children. It's really figured that about every 20 to 25 years, we have another generation of childbearing going on. So I ask you, in three generations since that book came out, is there anyone sitting here today think, thinking our children are much better off than they were then? And I dare one of you to say they are. Meet me outside if you think that. I can tell you for Jackie and myself that it was God's providential direction to bring us to Battlefield Baptist Church. We've both said it many times over that we felt it's the only thing that saved our marriage and maybe even us. To say this was my spiritual hospital 
is a vast understatement. It was no longer enough to just be here on Sunday mornings. And yeah, we were just a Sunday morning uh, family. The worse things got on the outside and the out, in the world out there, the more I needed to be surrounded by God's people. The more you need to be surrounded by God's people. The more I needed Jesus. There were times that I felt like I was really, literally dying from one service to the next, where my heart was so torn in two that, I mean, literally there was... There was a call one night that came in. Uh, we were sitting in the old fellowship hall, in the old motel, on a Wednesday night service. Mr. Owens, we have your son Travis up here. We'd like to, for you to come and pick him up. Which brings me to my point number three, if you will. And it's simply, why did I suffer? Why might any of us suffer, if you will? Why for me is this so personal? And and. Young people, if I can say this to you, not, I'm not here to beat any of you up, but don't you for a moment think anything you do is only hurting yourself. Your parents may or may not show it, but those scars they carry run deep. And those scars that I carried through those years, quite literally, um, Jackie knows it, those that have been here, Gordon and Denise, I can't do teen camp, even to this day. It's too hard. Give me the kids. I, w- I go to kids camp. Praise the Lord. Jackie's the one that has the heart that can, that can go to teen camp. Travis, she wants to go to teen camp this year, by the way. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 34. Would you say it's not happening? <laughs> Turn to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, real quick. Folks, I don't know how to do this any other way, but just be transparent in what I've gone through in my journey and in praying and hoping that you're going to grasp something from this. Verse 6 says, And the Lord passed by before him, being, him being Moses. And he proclaimed, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. And if you will, hit the pause button real quick, because that was the good part. Here comes the hard part. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Those words Moses would repeat again later to the nation in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. I prayed that over and over more fervently than I've ever prayed anything in my life, asking and pleading with God, please, please that my iniquity of my father and even more importantly, and urgently that my sin would not pass to my children and that it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, that it would end with me rather. Let it stop right here. Lord, I prayed. That was my, what was my big transgression. I knew easily. And it's forever lodged in my mind. And I've shared this in smaller circles before that I told God no. And I've shared. There's a time. Missionary Ole Conorop came to the church that we were at down in, uh, in actually it was in Lake Ridge at that time. Now it's, it's moved and it's in Dale City. But Ole Conorop came, our missionary that we support to Kenya. And I couldn't remember, I've even asked Brother Ole as I've gotten to know him personally from our time as missionaries, if he remembered the year that he was there. If he remembered maybe, was he on deputation or was it a furlough? Because we were, we were both definitely much younger. We're talking early to mid-80s. And, it, and he doesn't. But I remember thinking then, 
feeling that tug, feeling that pull and saying, gosh, if I ever went, if I ever was a missionary, it would have to be Africa. I knew it in my heart of hearts. And I told God, no. I said, I can never take my boys out of America. I couldn't deprive them, not of their dream, but of my dream. I was raising future professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've said to some here before that my God at that time was sports. Problem was, it was my dream. It wasn't theirs, and it certainly wasn't God's. To that end, pastors referred to it before, different, different ones. They would show up on Sunday mornings being in their various jerseys. They all had their favorite college collegiate team, if you will, strongly encouraged by Dad, of course. But they would sit there, arms folded, legs stuck straight out, many times blocking the aisle. Believe me, they blocked the aisle. One of them is six foot six now. With the look on their face, that stone-cold anger, go ahead, I dare you to bless me. You see, I made them come to church. It didn't matter what we were going through. As long as they lived under my roof in my house and ate the food that my wife and I put on the table, they were going to be in the Lord's house on Sunday morning. I wasn't trying to be their friend. I was trying to be their parent. This coupled, this, this, when I say this, meaning that I had told God no with the knowledge that we had drifted out of church for two or three years before we arrived at Battlefield. And I was sure that God was rebuking me through those very same boys that I had used to tell him no. So why turned it around, if you will? And just bear with me. We really are drawing to a close. Turn back again, if you will, the verse that Travis read right off the beginning. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And of course, Proverbs, as we know, has verses dealing really with all walks of life, dealing and touching with uh, kind of every phase of our life, if you will. Verses on child-rearing and discipline. And, and boy, there was such a big part of me that wanted to take that route and go into the discipline, but I didn't. But, you know, most of the world has thumbed their noses at this very book. It says they don't want anything to do with it. But the one verse you must walk away with today, if nothing else, is Proverbs 22, 6, which says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It was the evangelist Jamie Ragel who came here, and the best of our recollection, recollection, and I was asking pastor this morning, it was maybe 95 or 96, I know it was either before or after teen camp, I, I probably should have asked Gordon, maybe he would have remembered exactly what it was. But the very fact is that on that day, at that moment, that was the message that I needed to hear more than any other message that I've ever heard. Note the verse didn't say that when we're old, the wayward child will return. The fact is, you might not even be alive to see that day. The verse says that when he is old, he will not depart from it. When he is old, I remember that in response that day, and I wrote it in my Bible, and I I've saved this Bible. I've stopped using it on a daily basis. It's, it's not quite as, quite as worn as pastors, but I did it to preserve it. But on the very bottom of that page, I wrote, this is my hope for Jason. Some years later and several Bibles later in this, in this Bible, Africa tends to be hard on Bibles, by the way, 
I wrote this approximately 12 years ago, and this simply says in the side margin, will I live long enough? And that was it. That was my only thread of hope. That was my anchor in my storm of the century, if you will. But at the same time, it haunted me because I was convinced I had failed the test. I had missed the mark in training up the boys. The great evangelist Billy Sunday said many, many years ago, if you don't do your part, don't blame God. And I was certain that I hadn't done enough. The more doubt, the more fear of the next phone call in the middle of the night, the fear that this time it was not just another arrest. And really, it, it, it kind of became like, is it just another arrest? No, I feared to call, Mr. Owens, your son has died tonight for whatever the activity was that they were involved in. But all that only drove me closer. It drove Jackie and I closer to church. Never give up. Never, never stop fighting for your child. There is an enemy out there fighting. He means to steal your son or your daughter away. Why would you not want to be in the house of God? As long as they're living in our house, I said that. We made them come. There was times I didn't sit with my arms folded and my legs stuck right out, but I was probably just as miserable sitting here as they were because they had done their very best to make me that miserable. But this is where they needed to be. I urge you, I urge you today, I plead with you, please, draw closer to God, closer to His Word. If you're in the midst of this, or if, you, if I pray to God, none of, none of you will, Before, before there, while there's yet time, train that child up that he knows this precious word. Draw closer to him. Draw closer to Jesus Christ. Continue to be that example to your children. If you're here Sunday morning, you didn't, nobody stumbled in here by accident, did they? You purposely endeavored to be here. And praise the Lord for that. But not only continue to be example, Strive to be a better example. And that's what we did somehow, only by the grace of God. There wasn't anything we did. I, I wish, I know you maybe were hoping I had the magic formula. The magic's right here. We've had it all along. It hasn't changed. That's the beauty and strength of Scripture, the Word of God. God's mind does not change and influence by whatever the morals of society is. It's our anchor in the time of storms and trouble. Don't abandon it. Don't for, for, um, Don't stop coming to church. <laughs> you know, when we called about that need in Africa, or when God called, forgive me, when God called about that need in Africa again and thanked the Lord, He did. He is a God of second chances. You know, by that time, all, all we could do we say, yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, we will go. Here we are. Send us. When we left to live in Africa, January 2005, left permanently. Money was raised. Deputation was finished. Jason's in prison. His release date is unknown. We have just learned in the few weeks leading up to that that Travis is getting ready to go in for the first time for some hard times. You think that didn't draw and tug at our heartstrings? Do you think we didn't think for a moment we need to stay here but they had shown repeatedly they didn't give a flip about us if you will they didn't need us 
They needed to hit that bottom where God could reach them and use them and grab them and get a hold of them. Become, I pray this day, become that vessel fit for the Master's use. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.